Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Hello, brothers and sisters. Online and in the building, it's great to be with here uh, with you here this first day of the week. Start out the week right to share with you some awesome messages or message. It was hard to uh, pick what I wanted to talk about in the letter to the Colossians because it's just so chock full of uh, very timely messages for us to listen to during this hectic time uh, in this 21st century. Suffice it to say, we're reading the book of Philippians this week. We started today an awesome letter about joy and about walking in the joyful life in Christ. How many of you recognize the diamond on your left hand side? It doesn't look much like a diamond, does it? Uh, It looks like a piece of glass. Maybe if you see it on the ground, you might not even recognize that it is very valuable. And some of you have heard the phrase being said, you have to allow room for failure in your life. And whereas that may be true as we grow and mature in our lives, for for some things, room for failure could be catastrophic. And that's the example here with the diamond, because in order to take the diamond from the amorphous glass that you see on your left and turn it into something brilliant, you need to know what's called a fracture plane. A jeweler takes the diamond and he knows that there's a fracture plane that exists. Some call it a cleavage plane. And the diamond cutter needs to carefully examine where this cleavage plane is in the diamond. And with very precise blows, he's able to cut it and facet it in such a way to make the diamond sparkle. Some of you thought that diamond sparkled right out of the ground. That's not the case. You ever heard the phrase, he's a diamond in the rough, meaning he may not look like much now, but after a few fracture plane cuts, God's going to make him sparkle. And this is the case. It takes wisdom and skill to know where these fracture planes are. And if you don't get it just right, you know what could happen? You hit it just at the wrong place, that whole diamond can just come crumbling down. Yes, it can happen. So it takes a lot of perfection. There is really no room for failure when cutting a diamond. It takes skill, it takes uh, knowledge, and the results are either gonna be a beautiful sparkling diamond or dust all over your workshop. Satan has introduced many such fracture planes or cleavage planes, false ones, if you will, into the collective conscience of humanity. And some of these have polarized us and have divided us over over the years. We take these fracture planes and we think that they're gonna make us sparkle, but the end result is that they really turn us to dust. And these false fracture planes that Satan introduces, they've only caused division. 
They've only caused wars throughout humanity's history. Only in Christ can we truly find the unity and the peace that we all long for. I mean, doesn't everybody want unity, want peace throughout the world? But unfortunately, on our own terms, we can't get there. This is precisely what Jesus wants to bring. These two commodities, unity and peace, are not found in the world. They're only found in God's kingdom. Now, Satan may promise them to you. You may think, or you may think that you can find such things in the world, but unfortunately, he cannot deliver. People who, who fall prey to this end up like those diamonds that are just blown to dust. But Jesus is the one that wants to take you as a diamond in the rough and make you sparkle with light that only comes from his glory. So we can say that Jesus is faith's fracture plane. You know, if you get Jesus right, everything in your life is going to come out right, no matter how much of a diamond in the rough you are. But if you get him wrong, nothing in your life will come out right. Remember that. There's a lot of false views of Jesus out there in the world. People say Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus the other. I found this image that is pretty telling and pretty polarizing on Google. Uh, some people's view of Christ is more aligned with their particular national, political, personal, or cultural rhetoric than the vision and the mission that the scriptures assign to the Messiah. And one of the awesome highlights of this year's biblical journey we've been on is to be able to see the Bible from a bird's eye view, to see it as a unified account of God's plan to save mankind. But sometimes we get so landlocked in our own timeline, we don't see the forest for the trees. We forget God's kingdom has already endured many political, national, personal, and cultural challenges throughout millennia. We feel, some of us are feeling very challenged right now, but this is nothing new for the kingdom of God. Is that it has endured far worse things, and yet it stands. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Not because of any person or group of people. It's because God said the gates of Hades shall not overcome. I want to be part of that kingdom. I don't want to be part of somebody else's idea of what they think the kingdom might be or some other church that may go by some other ideology. And so every Christian and every generation has had the challenge presented here to the Colossians in Paul's letter. Are we defining our understanding of God's kingdom by how we see things or how we understand things? Understand that our views are very limited and we still have a lot to grow. We still have a lot to understand about God. Or are we, as we are living, are we letting God's word define what we understand that our culture, nation, and times are facing today? Because if that's the truth, then I'm going to be a changing person, a maturing person as I grow in Christ, leaving ideas, leaving false things behind, and growing in the knowledge and in the wisdom of Christ. And therein, I become that sparkling diamond as I let Jesus cut away because he knows where the fracture plane is. I do not. 
I have the potential of turning my life to dust, but he has the potential of turning my life to a sparkling diamond. Sometimes we're letting the tail wag the dog. Sometimes we're letting the cart lead the horse when it comes to these things. But we have to remember Jesus has overcome already. He overcame 2,000 years ago. And so when we join his movement, we're going to believe that we have overcome, that there's nothing in this world that needs to be overcome. We have overcome. It's like I always point out, you know, we sing, we will overcome. But that song is wrong. We have to change the words to make them say we have overcome. Because in Christ, we overcome. Amen. We are our own worst enemy. Satan has sowed the seeds of discord in our minds long before we ever got to read the pages of the Bible. You know, we all grew up thinking we understood something about Christ. And unfortunately, some of those things we understand sometimes creep into our life here in the kingdom. And if we're not in the word, we might be holding on to convictions that when times of testing come, the fracture plane is going to turn you to dust because you didn't let go of those things. And remember, this is not just a problem of our generation. This has been the challenge for every Christian generation since the kingdom began. And we see it right here in the letter to the Colossians. As Paul brings out these things, Jews and Christians in the first century needed to correct their optics on Christ in order to not be led astray by their current worldly paradigms and the challenges that it imposed upon them. Of course, very different challenges than, than the ones we face today, but the prescription to resolve them are the same. They have not changed because in the kingdom, as Rob pointed out last week, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and it doesn't say tomorrow, it says forever. <laughs> and so we need to remember that, to hold on to him. God's people need to correct their optics on Christ in every single generation, because the devil doesn't tire of throwing curveballs at us in every single generation. He tries to create cultural, national, political, traditional strongholds in our minds, and in that of our children to lead us to believe in a false Jesus. A Jesus that cannot give joy, that cannot give peace because he is a caricature of the world and not the true living king of kings. Jesus might become like a cardboard cutout in your mind, brightly colored, clothed the way you think he ought to be clothed. And sometimes we use a lot of Christian phrases and Christian clothing and Christian jewelry. And we think that that's Christianity. There's no power in that. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying, what are we trying to do here? Create a Christian culture in our day and age? Or are we trying to lean on God's culture in his kingdom? Two very different things. And that's what Paul addresses here. The difference could be heaven and hell for you. You get, you're going to get Jesus right or you're going to get him wrong. Which one is it going to be? So when the Spirit writes through Paul, he talks about weapons in 2 Corinthians. He talks about weapons that demolish strongholds. He's not talking about the 
sword of the spirit being used in an offensive tactic, as you would use a sword against your adversary. But when we read this passage here, he's talking about being in the word in order to demolish worldly strongholds in our own minds. This is a self-defense tactic in our very own minds because that's where the war is being played out. He says here, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And sometimes we, we get engaged in a worldly kind of battle when we think we're being attacked. And that's the opposite of the encouragement being given here. Like Rob pointed out last week, when Peter used that sword, Jesus says, hey, you want to live by the sword, you're going to die by it. I want to live by this sword in the word of God. I want to live by that sword. And that means that I have to fight what I think my mind preconceives about God and his kingdom. And God's word has power to demolish those strongholds in my mind and any kind of argument or pretension that can set itself up against the knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what is happening. We live in the world. We're not of the world, but we live in the world. And unfortunately, we hear stuff. We see things. We get scared. We get frightened. We get preoccupied with the world. And we might be swayed towards some of the things in the world and even move to want to fight like the world sometimes. But if we do that, we are getting Jesus wrong. And you will turn to dust. Let Jesus make you sparkle. Let his word cut through that cleavage plain. That's what the word of God does, doesn't it? As Hebrews 4.12 says, it divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We got to be in the word to make sure we're not deceived by the things that we see in the world. Because the word of God is what's going to clean house and keep us free of prejudice, fear, hatred. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That they cannot see the light of the gospel, who is the image of God, the glory of Christ. As you can see, this is a battle for our minds and the minds of men that our hearts may follow into surrendering to Jesus. If we can't see Jesus clearly, how in the world are we going to see the love and the unity that Jesus wants us to portray as his kingdom people? To portray not just before the people of the world, as Jesus says, it is your love and your unity that's going to cause people to say, oh, this is from God. So it's not something that I can do per se, but it's what we can do together as his people. In the unity and in the love that we show for each other, that's, that's what Jesus calls the power to help people believe that God has sent him. But you know that God is some, doing something else that's pretty awesome? He's doing something else that we can't even comprehend right now but Paul through Ephesians says that God's intent is that now in this current time through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus that's a deep verse I don't know exactly what it means but I can tell you that there is a purpose and that God's using the church for it. He's using you, he's using me together. He's using us 
to do something to show his wisdom. Isn't it amazing that God's wisdom can be shown through a lot of corruptible people like us? But that is the truth. There's something God is doing with his church, not just to show the people of the world, but to show the authorities in the heavenly realms. I don't know what that means exactly, but God is making a universal point with the church. There is an agenda, God's agenda, that will prevail throughout every generation, throughout every age, Jesus has overcome. We have to make sure we're in his boat and not on anyone else's boat. God has planned this from day one. And for this reason, we got to make sure we get Jesus right. Your life depends on it. Your soul depends on getting Jesus right. Getting his reality right. Not what I think this reality is about. And that happens through growth. We have to be in the word. And so these are some of the challenges facing Paul as he writes to the Colossians. Every Christian in every generation has faced them and those who rely on their faith overcome, just like Jesus overcomes. You're not alone. You're not singled out. As Peter says, don't feel strange or weird as if these things were just happening to you. You know, throughout every generation, stuff happens to Christians. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to succeed. But he knows, he knows, and you should know that in Christ you, over, you overcame. That's just, that's just what it is. And that's what the awesome book of Revelation is about. I can't wait to get there, but that's the message of Revelation. I, I wish I could go into the whole letter to the Colossians, but we would be here maybe for a few hours. Plus, we already covered Colossians some time ago. Maybe some of you won't remember. I believe it was in 2004. We covered the, the letter to the Colossians. But just like he did for the Ephesians, Paul begins by framing his letter and reminding them of the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Paul, this is how Paul establishes an argument. This is kind of his style. He, he establishes a spiritual foundation. He establishes a stronghold in faith. And then from there on, he explains the theology behind it, and then the practicals of it. And so that's usually how each letter is laid out uh, to the, each of the churches. So he starts out by talking about how the Son is the image of God, the firstborn of humanity. He's the creator. I mean, Jesus was not just a person who came and died for us and did all these great miracles, but there is something more that we need to understand and believe about this man, this human being, that he is God, that he is the creator, that he is before all things, that in him all things hold together, and that he is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of all creation. As uh, Gerard says sometimes, oh, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of the matter of everything, which is what the book of Revelation also says. Then he says, uh, in, in uh, verses 26 through 28, I'm going to say, I'm going to start reading a verse before you have it up here. The mystery, he talks about the mystery that had been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. Now, this is something amazing that we of all the people in the world have been given a mystery that is no longer a mystery because it has been revealed. 
that even angels, Peter says, long to understand this mystery, but it wasn't revealed to them first. It was revealed to God's people. Verse 27 says, to them, meaning to God's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And then he tells us what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice how many times wisdom is mentioned in this first chapter of Colossians. Wisdom is needed to get Jesus right. Not your wisdom, not the world's wisdom, God's mystery. We need to understand these things. Admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature. There's only one way that we can present people fully mature in Christ, and that is by teaching them the right things, teaching them what this mystery is about, teaching them how God has empowered them, teaching them that they're not slaves to anyone or not held captive by any stronghold in their mind, that they can get rid of those things through the word of God. That is power. And that is what we ought to do. A matter of fact, that is part of the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus says, baptize them and teach them everything. Teach them all things I have commanded you. That's why he says here, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Then he says, he is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the core of our message, our thinking and our lives. Jesus needs to be the center. We need to get him right or nothing will go right. Our task is to present everyone perfect in Christ. How can we do this? Through the word of God, admonishing, teaching with all wisdom, a reference to the great commission. Preaching and teaching is the avenue through which every man is presented perfect in Christ. Isn't that kind of similar to what Paul said in Ephesians 5.25 about the husband's task to his wife? How is the husband gonna present his wife as perfect? by teaching and preaching. It's the same thing, same concept here. Only through the word of God can we grow up by getting Jesus right. Then after this, Paul, after speaking about the preeminence of Christ and reminding them of our purpose and our election here on earth, Paul gets to the purpose of his letter here in chapter two. He says, my goal, Paul, as an apostle, says, my goal is that they, and who's he speaking about here? Actually, the Colossians and the Laodiceans. They, this letter was to be read by both uh, congregations. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of, important phrase, complete understanding. See, we don't have complete understanding. We don't know everything. We, we're very biased. Our world makes us very biased and prejudiced. Each person has their own perception and idea, what Paul calls strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10, that need to be demolished by the word of God. Because if they're not, we won't get to unity and love because we will let those prejudices divide us and polarize us, because that's, that's Satan's goal. But God's goal is different. We need to be full of complete understanding in order, 
that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. How many, if you make an account of how many times he talks about wisdom and knowledge here in this chapter, you'll get the point that there is a wisdom, there is a knowledge we need to get right. But in order to get it right, we need to be in the word. And then look at what verse three, uh, verse four says. Very important. This is where he begins to make the point to the Colossians. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. See, every generation is going to face these fine sounding arguments to try to get you away from the goal that God has set for his church. This is how Satan divides and conquers using fine sounding arguments. So we can kind of summarize here uh, the purpose of Paul's letter, of the letter to the Colossians, summarize it really quickly. God wants us to be encouraged in our heart. He wants us to be united. I like this word in the Greek, sumbabizo, means knit together like, like a net, like so deeply tied together by the bonds of the Spirit, that we may have complete understanding, that we may know the mystery, which is not a mystery anymore if we're in Christ, that we may not be deceived. There's the potential for being deceived, but not if I'm walking in Christ, so that I can continue living in Christ, he'll say in verse 6, and so that in verse 8, I may not be taken captive meaning I may not become a slave again to the basic principles of the world. So that's kind of like the summary of some of the things that we're going to talk today in what Paul summarizes here. And this is just the first two chapters. I don't have time to get into the other awesome things that he says. But Paul uses this word mystery various times, mostly as he writes to the Ephesians and the Colossians. And that's probably because there were a lot of philosophers in Colossae that were known to throw their words around and phrases. And they had their own memes at the time, you know, that, that try to captivate the minds of people to try to say, hey, no, you know, this is how you got to think. And, and they thought that they were better or special because they had special knowledge or special understanding as, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And, and, you know, they would try to bully themselves either with degrees or I went to this school or I went to that school, very similar to what some people do today. And so Paul is saying, look, don't be deceived by fine sounding arguments because only in Christ, all the treasures, not some, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Nowhere else. Don't be taken captive, but seek refuge in Christ, in Jesus, who is the hope of the gospel, as Paul mentioned in the first chapter, are hidden, hidden. What does that mean? That means you have to uncover them. That means you have to be in the word. That means you have to get in the word because it's hidden. It's like the Proverbs say. Proverbs say that wisdom is like fine jewels. What does he mean? That means you got to dig deep. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to get in there to get those jewels out. They're not lying around on the surface. And so the same goes for the word of God. You got to put some serious time, focus into the word of God. And all these riches will be yours. There's yours, they're yours for the taking. And they will protect you from these fine sounding arguments. They will protect you from being taken captive by your own preconceived notions and prejudices that all human beings have. 
Don't think you don't have them. You do. Which is why we need to grow up in the wisdom of Christ and be presented perfect, but only by being in the word. So this is the meat of the matter. It is possible to be deceived, which means that we really need to be in Christ. We need to get this right. We don't make it up as we go along. That's not what being a Christian is about. Making it up as we go along. Every generation is different. Oh, we got to get up with the times. There is no getting up with the times because the kingdom of God sets the time and ends the time. You want to be in the times? Be in the kingdom of God. The other times don't matter a hell of beans. <laughs> All right. So this thing that people think, oh, we got to get with the times, you know, we got to get contemporary. That means nothing. Jesus is the King of Kings. We got to make sure we're in his timeline. We got to get him right. If we don't get him right, everything will go wrong. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of freedom in Christ. But if you don't get him right, there's also a lot of potential for you stumbling by what you think your freedoms may be. So Paul is telling them that in Christ, they will know all these things. And if they feel that they need to add something to this, if they feel that, no, you know what, we need to borrow a little bit from here and a little bit from there, then he says, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be taken captive. He tells them here in verse 6 through 8, just as you receive Jesus, continue to live in him, rooted. This is his pres prescription, rooted. This is what I was telling you. When you think of a plant that is rooted, that means it's like really in there, in the ground. Winds may come and it's really entrenched there in the ground. Over by us, uh, when we had that uh, almost hurricane hit us this summer, there was our, one of our neighbors had this really huge tree. I mean, it was a big, tall tree. And you would think, wow, a tall tree like that, man, their roots must be way in the ground. And we were all surprised. And the next day, the tree was toppled over. And when I looked underneath, I said, wow, look at that. This tree had no roots whatsoever. Could have fooled me. <laughs> so sometimes you may think you're strong and somebody may look really strong. But if they're not deeply rooted and strengthened and built up, any little wind of false doctrine or deception is going to make you sway away and topple over. Like he says here in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. It depends on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So there are certain forces in this world, certain spiritual forces that are not Christ's that work on behalf of evil. And you don't know how to fight them. You don't know how to, you wouldn't want to know how to engage them because you have no power over them. But in Christ, as long as we remain in him, we're going to be safe. We're going to be good. So Paul here gives us the cure for deception which is walking in Christ. These are the characteristics of a life that walks in Christ that won't be deceived, rooted. Brothers and sisters, there is no substitute for some solid hours in the Word of God. You can't fake that. You're either going to be enriched with all the treasures of knowledge in the Word of God, or you're going to be uh, hijacking your own spiritual life 
by not spending this time that you need to, to be deeply rooted in Jesus, sinking your roots in him, not in people, not in wishes or dreams. You're going to be let down. Don't we sing in Christ, the solid rock I stand. And what do we say? All other ground is sinking sand. You don't want to root yourself there. You want to root yourself in Christ. Built up in him, then he says, building on him. And to build on him, that means that we need to get rid of the strongholds and the presumptions with the word of God, demolish them with the power of the word of God. And once they're demolished, then we can build on that strong foundation. Your job, your career, your family, all that we do really should be purposed in Christ so that we are building on him as opposed to building on sinking sand. And sometimes God has to course correct us, but we're not afraid. That's the awesome thing about being a Christian. If I am going the wrong way, just like I thought, you know, I thought I was going to be a teacher. That's what I went to school for. Oh, I'm going to be a teacher. Of course, I wanted to be an engineer first, and God gave me a course correction. There says, no, Peter, you're not smart enough for that. You better work as a teacher. That you can do. You can't do engineering. It was hard for me to accept, but it was a course correct. And then I worked, and then God course corrected again and says, okay, that's enough of you working there. We're going to get you fired. And then you're going to find out. I didn't know that, right? I didn't know that was going to happen. But those are some of the hard things. But I trust God. I trust he is the leader of my life. And so if something bad seems to be happening now, I put my trust in him. It's going to work out. And it did. And it has so far. It has so far. God has to course correct. That doesn't feel good to the flesh. But if he does... Demolish those strongholds <laughs> so that you can regain that freedom. Once sometimes we feel like the world is trying to hold us captive. No, it's your thoughts that hold you captive. Remember that. World can't do that. It's your own thinking, your own prejudices that hold you captive. The false ideas, the false philosophies, false way of thinking about the world. And you know what? When you are doing these things, number four, you're going to be overflowing in thankfulness. You're going to be like what Mark pointed out. The person who realizes, wow, I have all these benefits. I got a great benefits package in Christ. I can do nothing but be thankful. When I lost my job, I was thankful. That was hard. I didn't feel, to, I didn't feel like being thankful. I felt like fighting. I got to fight. I got to sue. I got to do something. And then, you know, reason prevails. No, I have to be thankful. <laughs> that's really tough. But that's when faith is tested. That's when faith becomes real in moments like that. Overflowing with thankfulness. One of the first indications that we've been swayed by fine-sounding arguments and taken captive is you lose your gratitude. Did you know that? That's what he told the Galatians. You don't feel like being thankful. You're full of complaining, you're bitter, you're angry. You're not remembering your benefits. You're not remembering who you are in Christ. So those are some of the warning lights, you know, in the dashboard of your soul. <laughs> it's like the car, you know, warns you, boop, 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 check engine soon, soon. Same thing, anger, bitterness, that means check your soul. 
Make sure you're deeply rooted in the word of God. And that was the problem here in this local church. Some, not all, but some were being taken captive by human tradition or human wisdom or the basic principles of the world. And some let this hollow philosophy, Paul says, hollow and deceptive. Deceptive means it looks good, it sounds great, it makes a lot of sense, and it might in the world, but in the kingdom it doesn't because it's an upside down kingdom. Or the world rather is upside down. So they might make logical sense, but they don't make divine sense. So we have to choose what we're going to do with that. Some of this is manifested in how we trust or how we hope in some things in the world. Some people might think, oh, you know, if I, if I touch the robe of the, of the Pope, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be healed. If I have this cross and I carry it in my pocket, I'm going to be fine. You know, if I have this talisman or whatever else, you know, we, we put our hope in things and those are, and that is deceptive. If I read my Bible every day, I'm going to be fine. Well, I read my Bible every day and I was kicked out of my job. What happened there? <laughs> See, so you have to be careful what kind of thing, what kind of paradigm you're following. We can build our own paradigms and they're silly. And they're foolish. They have to be demolished. In order that our trust and our hope is in Christ, we got to get Jesus right. That's how you get Jesus right. He is our hope of glory. If we're not taking these opposing thoughts captives, they will take you captive. Don't be enslaved, Paul says. Don't be taken captive by what is hollow, that means what is vain, what is lacking in spiritual substance. It may have value for the flesh, it may have value in the world, but it lacks substance, he says here. It has no value for eternity, so that's how it's deceptive. Because it may hold something for you here, but are you willing to lose your eternity, to hold on? Something temporary? That's the question, right? And, and what are things like that? Well, wealth, beauty, physical strength, right? Some of us brothers, you know, we're, we're pushing 50 and we think we could go and play basketball like we did 30 years ago. And then we realize, oh, no, <laughs> can't put my hope in that. Can't trust that. I try to be careful now. I try not to make any sudden moves because... If I make sudden moves, I tweak my back or hurt my elbow. And you know, every day, every month, something else hurts, right? It's like the pain travels through different joints. It makes its, you know, visits all the joints in my body. I don't know what that means. I don't know if everybody goes through that, but you know, I was like, but well, you know, my knee felt great. No, I, my elbow felt great before. How come it's hurting now? And then next month's gonna be the other elbow. And I'm like, what is this? But this is a reminder that my hope is not here. This body is just temporary. He talks about what is deceptive, uh, means seemingly good, but useless in the reality of Christ. Proverbs 31, 30 says, charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. Intelligence, you know, we might think we're smart. And then, you know, 60 years later, you can't add two plus two. So that is fleeting, you have to be careful. You don't wanna rely on that. 
You may think that there's a way to cheat the system. Oh yeah, I found out how to cheat the system. I found out how to make the man pay. No, let them, I'm gonna make them pay. But all that is manipulation, bullying. Oh, this is the way of the world. This is human tradition. These things don't belong in the kingdom of God. We don't wanna depend on human traditions or on the basic principles of the world that Paul will later say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You know, the world tells you these different things. And Paul says, forget about those rules. Those are destined to perish. They're based on human commands and teachings. And they lack, he says here at the end, they lack value. We may think they're good. Like I may think, oh yeah, you know, I, I want to eat healthy and I'm all for eating healthy. You know that, those of you who know me. You know, I try to eat healthy. I try to buy organic things, you know, but, but I don't go to extremes in that. You know, somebody's going to say, oh, don't eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, because then you're going to get a heart attack. Come on. I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> so, you know, once in a while, I'll eat a Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's not the same as it was 30 years ago, is it? I don't know what they're cooking now. But <laughs> it doesn't taste the same. Or maybe my taste buds were better 30 years ago than they're now. I don't know. But some people say, oh, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't touch this, don't touch that. And we get scared and we get all, you know, what is that? Paul says here, don't pay attention to that. Book of Ecclesiastes says, wisdom is not found in the extremes, right? A wise person avoids all extremes. And we need to learn how to do that because sometimes some of us get a little caught up in the health thing, okay? As one who does, I'm telling you this. I have to be very careful that my lifestyle doesn't preach health instead of Christ, because there's a big difference there, okay? Again, I'm all for health, I try to buy organic, I try, I try to do all those things, but, I, but it's not my life. I don't make it my life, because my life is Christ. Organic things can't save me, okay? Vegan lifestyle can't save me. That's something that we need to understand. We need to understand, Paul says here, understand, have an understanding that these things, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. They have an appearance of wisdom. But what are they really? Self-imposed worship. Oh, well, look at me. Yeah, you know, I eat organic. I'm better than you. You eat that canned stuff. You're not going to do well. And when we do things that are different, don't we feel more important? You know, we feel we're a little better. We feel like we have an edge. I got an edge here. I got an edge in the game because I know what to do. Don't be deceived. There, those things can't save you. I'm not saying they're wrong, okay? Because in this same breath, I'm telling you, when I go home, we're still going to buy food at Trader Joe's and we're going to strive to get organic things as best as we can but it's not my life. That's not what I preach. And that's not what holds me captive. You understand that? It doesn't control me. I can eat a Kentucky Fried Chicken anytime I want and whenever I want. And I'm not gonna feel guilty or ashamed. I might even invite you to join me. <laughs> understand that sometimes these things produce a false humility. Oh, you know, I, I do these things. And so, you know, I try to do, I, I have self-control. Really? 
Is that what self-control is? Because this scripture is telling me that these things, if anything, they lack value in spiritual training. Why? Because they're deceptive. I think I'm practicing self-control by harshly treating my body when in reality what's happening is I'm worshiping myself or worshiping a false idea of Jesus and the humility that I'm showing is false before God. Be careful. Pay special attention to this. They don't help your spiritual training at all. So I think it is when we don't welcome the correction that we need to take in life. God tests us. He's tested me many times. I've gone to extremes, brothers and sisters. I've gone to one extreme. I've gone to another. And I have had to be corrected. I've had to be I've had to be sat down and said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and those moments, that's the test. See how really humble I'm going to be about whatever deception it is I'm trying to follow here so that I can be deeply rooted in Christ, not in my own ideas or philosophies. As Paul says here, he says, in Christ, it is in Christ, you've been brought to fullness, not anywhere else. Only in Christ, you're made full. That's it. There's no other alternative because he is the head over every power and authority. He's the one who's the boss. He's the one who's in charge. You have a complaint against the government? against their policies or against some political leaders, talk to Jesus. He's in charge. No one else is. And you might get mad as some in the first century when they had emperors who persecuted them and killed them. And what did Paul tell them to do? Pray. Pray for them. Bless. Bless and do not curse. That's hard. But when I do that, I'm grounded in Jesus' reality, not my own, not somebody else's. Our governor has her reality. Our president has another reality in mind. Matter of fact, every single person has their vision of reality. And each one of us too, but at least one thing I can say is that if we're in the kingdom, we're fighting with divine weapons to demolish what we think that reality is, so that we can be sure we're getting Jesus right and are welcomed into his reality. That's what's what's happening here. That's different than what's happening in the world. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the benefits that we have in Christ. And that's what the gospel is about. Just like he said here, in him, when we were circumcised with a circumcision not done by human hands, because we believe he is God in the flesh. He is the preeminent Christ. He was sent here to atone for our sins. And he was raised on the third day to prove it to every power and authority everywhere for generations to come. And he did that to show us that he wants us to be reconciled in this gospel. This is the gospel. He accomplished this by sacrificing his son. As we just sang, God so loved the world that he gave up his one and only son to take your place when it is us who should have paid, but we couldn't even, we're so pathetic, we can't even pay for our sins. 
But God says, I got you because I love you. And I want you to be with me. Because I got, I got a point I'm going to make to those powers and authorities with little old you, with little frail, uh, divided, uh, messed up you. I'm going to show the powers my wisdom. That's amazing, isn't it? That makes me sleep well. Because I can't do anything. <laughs> but if I let God work in me, he can do it all. But I have to get Jesus right. And the first step in getting Jesus right is making sure I obey his gospel. Just like he said there in that passage, when we are baptized, when we're buried with him in baptism, that's when that circumcision done by God takes place. He's the one who cuts the flesh off. I don't even know how to do that, but he did it. He put that body of sin away like Romans 6, 3 and 4 says. That body of sin died. In other words, God gave me the ability to say no to sin. That's power. He gave me the ability to say no to hollow and deceptive philosophy. He gave me the ability and the tools to demolish the strongholds. That is power. So I can get Jesus right. And I have overcome. Getting Jesus right, as the rest of Colossians will say, means that I am now a participant in the mercy that triumphs over judgment. That life is in Christ. Forgiveness is in Christ. Sins are blotted out in Christ. Hey, Mark, it sounds like I copied your lesson. But this is the message of the gospel. This is the benefits package. The law is removed in Christ. You think the law is against you? No. That's, again, something you need to demolish. That's a stronghold. There's nothing against you if you're in Christ. That's a tough one to overcome and to believe. Evil powers are despoiled in Christ. Get him right, brothers and sisters, visitors, friends. I pray that you get him right. And that first step is to die to self and be united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. To start the first day of the rest of your eternity. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. 